You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Welcome to Quantum Leap Book Club. During the next hour, beloved mind scientist Parisha and her guests from around the world will read and discuss various best-selling books with well-known authors. Every show will apply retention techniques designed to help you to absorb powerful knowledge to effectively change your life. Join us every week for a thought-provoking hour and re-listen as often as you can. You will be delighted by what you learn and you will be excited by the results. Are you ready to take the quantum leap? Here's Parisha. Greetings, and this is Quantum Leap Book Club, and we are having a great time here with the book that is called The Different Drum, actually a wonderful community-based book that can help us in this day and time by M. Scott Peck. I am Parisha, your host, and my co-hosts are, we have Rosemary Heyer from Frankfurt, Germany. We have Mia Dalby Ball, who is actually from Sydney, Australia. We have Mike Delar from Quebec, Canada. And we have Joyce Mellenhauer from Arizona. And we have Marianne Love from uh, Melbourne, kind of the opposite end of Australia. And we have uh, Trina Cooper, who is actually from Colorado. So some part of Colorado, I usually say Denver, but I know she's not right in Denver. Okay, so those are my co-hosts this week, and we are really going to have a great time because we're coming close to the conclusion of a book that no matter how old it was, and it's at least 20 years in publication, we're finding out how much it applies to us today. And the reality is, is that the book that we're listening and learning to is actually defining humanity, each of us, individual in the grouping of humanity. And when we decide that we are individuals in any group and circumstances, Scott really makes a point of how we fit in, how things blend together. So I see it as a beautiful mosaic that each little different piece in it makes the whole of it just perfect, absolutely perfect. And as I've followed through the chapters that we've asked you to, please get the book read the book page by page and situation by situation. Make sure that you have a notebook alongside of you as you read. Find out what part of this book speaks to you and where you see it actually being able to facilitate something in your life today. Actually bringing together your office, you can bring together the deeper bonding of your family, You can bring it into actually outlying how you're going to handle going to a different land and a different country and still fitting into the community so that you when you learn the different aspects of what it takes to make this whole that we call a community, you begin to see how you fit into it with all of your differences, yet you become a harmonic part of it. And then you begin to see, which is what I have seen. It doesn't matter if I'm in an airplane. doesn't matter if I'm in a car or a bus. Community starts where two or more of us gather. When there is one other to consider than self. And then actually typesetting where we fit in that. Typesetting meaning figure, make the print. Put, put things in placement so that you can actually feel comfortable where you are and who you are and the differences between the all that is. And in that, I've learned that as I've followed through this, because like I keep saying, I've worked with Scott in the past, I don't think that I have ever personalized what work I have been exposed to with him as much as I am this particular book. One of the books that I found very popular with him was The Road Less Traveled, which corresponds to what we're reading here in the different drum. So he kind of carries his theme into his other books, which is beneficial for you to read as well. But like with this one, I'm finding that it helps me in how much over all these years of travel and home that I'm actually beginning to see how this one particular community-minded awareness fits everywhere, everywhere. Even, Even when I'm writing an article or something, I realize how I begin to follow the guidelines of how I want it to go by what I perceive and understand as how community bonds and grows. 
So please get the book and please read it. And as we share with you our particular views, aspects, and how we actually see and perceive this in our lives and in the many years of what we have done in our experiences, we don't want you to miss the itemized details of what this book offers. And as you learn of us, as we learn together of the book, we want you to actually understand how we all fit we are complimented, uh, deeply complimented, that you take time to be with us, that you actually see what we are sharing as important enough to make part of your day. So know then how we treasure and admire, respect, and appreciate you. Because without you, there is no need for us to talk at each other, okay? So please keep mailing in your, your text messages and your messages because they are important. I had a slew of people respond to the story I shared last week on the show regarding a sharing that a person sent to us on how she had found she could use this in her home to find a way for the family to bond. Well, I've got like 40 stories pretty similar to that that has happened over this week. So it is rewarding to hear that. It's rewarding to know that not only us, but other people are finding that once you put the knowledge in, it begins to attract experiences that validate it as important to you. And so we appreciate all those stories. Absolutely, everyone was beautiful. And in each one, I actually took away a piece of it for myself. So I appreciate that. Keep it coming. Okay, so we're going to start this week, and who's going to start out with their chapter and actually sharing with us what you're doing at this time in your life with it? This is Geraldine in Sydney, Australia, and what this chapter's represented, especially as a reminder about nature and nature as community, and having you know, a lot of my time working in nature as well, so-called work, you know, exchanging time for money. But as we know, that's really exchanging time for experience. And the experiences in nature really bring about all the aspects of what's being spoken of in the book, in particular one that's got a common name now of the wood wide web. And we know the world wide web, we know the internet, we know how we're connected. And if you just imagine for a moment, wherever you are in the world, even if it's deep concrete, there's still soil down there somewhere, original soil. And wherever there's active live soil, there's organisms in that soil. And even if you just Google, just Google how many organisms in one gram of soil, and you'll get an answer like 10 billion in one gram, 10 billion organisms, and they're different types of organisms, they're different species, they're variety, whether we do it in soil, whether we do it in a pond, at different scales, life is absolutely thriving. When we come up to the scale where we're at, yes, there's humans and plants, and big things that we can see. We're at this scale. Then you go to another scale, go out to the universe, every single step of nature is full of life and variety. And if we take it that next step, there are the interactions, as we see in the book, the part about the vulnerability as well, the knowing that if the trees aren't or the algae in the oceans aren't creating carbon dioxide, I mean, I'm taking in the carbon dioxide and giving back the oxygen, I'm not breathing. If you think you're invincible and you think nature doesn't matter, try holding your breath for you know, more than five or so minutes. That's how vulnerable you are. The, this beautiful earth, this beautiful planet has given us what our physical body needs. And I really, the teachings from Grandmother Parisha in terms of the body, the, the, the original word for it being altar, the place where the spirit and the physical comes together. So here we can feel that and then we can go to the hard science of it. The earth itself, the components of the earth, are the same ratios as that in this physical form. The amount of uh, carbon we have, the amount of nitrogen we have, the oxygen that moves in and out, but also that are part of our body, to the point where you realise this is, a, a, again, a microcosm of the earth herself. And quickly on that point of exchanging the breath with the trees, nature again shows that it's not survival of the fittest as the key activator in the way the natural world works. It's a way that 
historically the Western science have seen it, but really the more you look, it's survival of the connected. And interestingly, there's been study out of um, Harvard Uni where they tracked a whole lot of um, some of their people. So this study has been going for 80 years now and they found more than money, more than lifestyle, it doesn't matter if they smoke or drunk, anything, the thing that was correlated most with um, happiness and longevity was the quality and value of connections. And going back to what I mentioned up front, the wood wide web is the fungi hyphae and the other organisms in the soil linking not only the trees, the shrubs, the grass, but then producing different substances that then these 10 billion microorganisms per gram also get that chemical message. And really, the more I looked at it like that, the more I realized that's what's going on inside our body. So have a look at your own biochemistry. Just grab a book, Google, do, do a video, have a look at YouTube. Just say, how does my body break down, um, break down food as a video? And then when you're next standing on the soil, have that little moment of realizing all of that's going on underneath you. And there comes a point where the scales of difference are not that different. So I, I really suggest that. The other pit I'd like to bring about, talk about nature is variety. And it's come through the book very strongly. To be able to stand in presence, which that which is different from you and the varieties there, and to be able to acknowledge there's a difference. And I know we've been talking about this recently and how we've used the book is to be able to say, I don't need to be against it, the teaching of all being in a circle. Then you can see there's no side in the circle, but when you stand in the middle, you can see the many perspectives. And the more to look to nature to see, like even where I'm looking out the window here, there are four different species of main canopy tree and then all the shrubs, all the bush, all the birds, all the things, they're different. If they were competing, one species would be dominant here and it's not. So to be able to look that as we breathe in the oxygen, the trees breathe in our carbon dioxide and we breathe together, to realise that diversity is the norm when it comes to natural systems and the poorer a physical environment, like the Great Barrier Reef in Australia is a place where there's not a lot of nutrients naturally but there's a tremendous amount of diversity and life that's come from that. Our rainforests up in northern Queensland, the soil was originally poor in terms of nutrient. It's the forest that creates it. And again, nature tells us, shows us the exchange. As the leaf falls, it goes to the soil, it becomes the soil, it becomes the tree, it becomes the leaf. And the more we can see ourselves as part of this, the more we can see ourselves appreciating ourselves and all around because we realise this integration is absolutely essential. The other thing they found in that study too is that loneliness was as much of a killer as alcohol and smoking. So this shows us too that it's not survival of the fittest. I'm the biggest, I'm the strongest, I'm the one who did it because that's not how nature works. It's how many connections. And they showed in this Woodwide Web experiment that trees of different species flow their nutrients to each other when in need. And again, we can put the links to the TED Talks in our uh, social media so that you can have a look at some of those. But the strength of the forest comes from the interactions. The strength in our communities comes from our interactions. Any question you have, if you go back to nature and ask, you'll find it there. And that's where I'd like to conclude as the start of today's chapters. Wonderful. And, and you, you shared a lot of details and science, I feel, that is actually at the base of what we can see is every community, anywhere things are interacting, any interwoven and joining. And you did a fantastic job of bringing that down to a very microscopic level to where we can see how far in it begins and how far out it actually grows. I appreciate that. That was really very, very good. Okay, now we move on to, I think it's Marianne. It is. I got the very interesting topic of vulnerability, yeah. and which I think a lot about this as a therapist, so I'm really glad I got this topic. Um, he goes off into a bit of politics in this chapter, so I, I kind of overlooked a little bit of that and just looked at the essence of some of the things he was talking about. 
Um, and really describing vulnerability as this ability to be open. And I think he didn't give a lot of detail on how to do this, but I think it's, it's about being real and about being honest and about being transparent, even when it's difficult, even when there are parts of ourselves we don't even want to look at and we don't even want to know that it's there, but that we take the courage to actually experience parts of ourselves that maybe culturally we've felt ashamed of or we've been told wrong or something and allow that to actually come through even with ourselves and then with others. And in doing that, we build community, we build connection because we begin to see, oh, they're a bit like me. Oh, I have feelings of sadness. Oh, I feel shame sometimes. I feel fear sometimes. And that you can also differentiate from each other. So it's like I can be afraid of one thing and you can be afraid of something completely different. And by allowing vulnerability, we're saying there's room for all of that. There's room for you and there's room for me. And we can all have our individual experience and yet share a commonality that is in all human, regardless of colour, race, culture. There's fundamentals about us all that, that join us and yet make us individual and I think Geraldine gave a beautiful description of how that works in um, the environment. And I can see now how that works also between us as humans and also internally, like we also have internal characters. In therapy, I'm often bringing out these internal roles in people that can be very opposing to each other internally. And just allowing room and space for what can be confusing, what we can judge, and just allowing room in a, in a space of kindness, acceptance, honesty, openness, um, breaks down all these defences and barriers that keep us separate from each other. And I think it's like grandmother was sharing about family and how you can apply it. Like it's really powerful in family to create new norms. Like some of the old norms were based on, you know, maybe generations back, People were stiff upper lip English and they just never shared emotions. Maybe they just had to survive that way and it just habitually got passed down generation to generation and, and yet there is no apparent need for it now. I know in my own family we had a death and my brother died recently and just even in experiencing that in my family has allowed more openness of just allowing emotion through everybody's experience in losing someone so close and important is very different. Like my parents experienced different from mine, different from my nieces and nephews. And you really can't compare them. Like you, there's no comparison. They're unique experiences. And yet allowing room just to people can cry. People can get angry, upset, like all within their own journey. And that there's space for all of that, you know, in my family is creating a new norm you know, there's more room for emotion. We're fairly English in our heritage. So, you know, often emotion was swept under the carpet, but now there's a lot more room for that. And I think just considering how does vulnerability work in your family? How can you and your community, your groups, how can you use it to um, be courageous, to connect up and to share and to help break down old norms that no longer serve you know, defences that no longer serve, you know, to build this beautiful society we can all create together. I agree. And uh, thank you for sharing what you and your family just gone through, because in the, in the fact that death is actually normal and natural to life, we don't deal with it with any kind of sense of knowledge. And to, at that time, like you shared, which is so important, Everything and everything is acceptable at that time because you're just getting through something that you aren't really skilled at, you know, and there is this great sense of, of fear and vulnerability. When you were talking about vulnerability, it, it reminded me of something because we moved probably, I think it's now three, four years to a different house. I wanted a smaller house, something I could take care of. And so when we moved, I realize I'm moving into a neighborhood and have neighbors who realize the last person that lived here was this, this or that, if they knew them at all. And immediately what I did was go, because we're in the desert, of course, we're in Arizona. I went and bought everybody as close as four doors down on both sides and across the street, cactuses. 
little, those little, their little kind of potted cactuses all in there together. And I actually went to each one of them and knocked on the door and gave it to them and introduced myself and told them that I was very happy and thankful that they had to know, know that I'm integrating into the community and I would like them to feel you know, safe and pleasant to call upon me at any time. There were a few people that that actually was uh, open to it. I mean, there's very few, maybe three, four out of 15. And there were others that were so startled by it. You know what I'm saying? That they they reached out almost like scared to take the plant. And as I was talking, I can tell you, they didn't remember a thing I said because they were still in shock or whatever. And then I found that when, even when I left, they were still standing in the door looking at me, you know. So it's like we we shut ourselves off. Our vulnerability of each other is what we really have to work on, isn't it? We need to be able to accept each other and be involved in, 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 and allow that integrating to happen. And your point in the main, what you've made, made that so real. We're not going to change what's happening in the world till we can actually communicate and talk to each other about our feelings about it. And that actually has means we have to deal with our sense of vulnerability. And that was really good that you brought that in. I appreciate that very much. I also feel your clients should be blessed that you have, they, they have such an open-minded therapist. Love you. Okay. Now we're going to go and let Trina in the, uh, Colorado there go into the next chapter which is integration and integrity and uh, actually give her reflection on some of her insight with that. Trina? Yeah um, interesting chapter for sure it definitely got my head going in about a thousand directions and I thought oh my gosh how am I ever going to pull all of this together in one in one little piece because I could think of so many so many different situations but Integration and integrity both come from basically the same root, which is wholeness. It's about soundness. It's about wholeness. And um, what this chapter did was bring out a lot of ideas and concepts that are kind of right in right in front of our nose, but maybe we don't see them. Maybe they're not something that that we notice every day, or maybe we do, and we just don't know what to do to do with them. So, in community. You know, we've talked about this before, that community is about creating this integration, about pulling all these pieces together, about making a wholeness where everyone, all the differences are um, brought in and mixed together and appreciated and respected and we find consensus. And part of this is coming from ourselves and community is like this too, where it's actually built on a really sound a sound uh character a wholeness and true community really is dealing with integrity it's about looking at things honestly and about opening up and being truthful in all the situations so um as a, as a society though, we don't tend to do that. And a lot of times, even as individuals, we don't tend to act that way. We tend to justify and rationalize and a word he used in here was carp, uh, compartmentalize. Like in order to not have to deal with some of the tensions, with some of the pain that comes up, we rationalize it and we put things in boxes um, so that we don't really have to deal with it. And some, you know, it's like someone might say, well, I believe all life is sacred. And at the same time, they're willing to go out and kill a tree um, for a certain holiday for decorations, or they're even willing to say, I completely believe in the sanctity of life if they're willing to um, use capital punishment with a criminal. Um, so these are these are issues where that people rationalize for me, one of them that was the toughest that I really questioned was um, my aunt who grew up in the South and, and there, you know, there's a lot of cultural differences and stuff. And I never understood why she had a, you know, she had a black nanny that she absolutely loved, who tr she trusted 
um, all of her, her children's lives with, yet she couldn't handle the idea that my uncle would have to, or that they would have to go to a party that was hosted by black people, or that he would have to salute a black, black officer in the service. So that never made sense to me. And there was, for me, trying to rationalize that from my perspective made no sense for her because of the culture she was in, it made perfect sense. So we're up against these things all the time. And when we compartmentalize things like this, we're not looking at the whole truth. We're only looking at pieces of it. We're only looking at maybe half truths. And um, so when we speak about creating peace in the world, in a nation, yet at the same time we're building arms at the same time we're building up all our weapons stores and we're talking about how are we going to you know we need to we need to work for peace and as um parish just says more than once wars can't produce peace it doesn't work and peace is never a result of war the outcome of war there's always a loser there's always someone that's not happy so this is something we need to look at are these these different perspectives that we talk about trying to rationalize a reason why we do something or the way things work. Um, right now, there's a lot of people that are waking up and they're noticing this. And this was one thing that the author really put forward was the fact that our society is changing and people are changing. And they're beginning to really feel these lies or they notice it, they can feel it in their heart. Something doesn't seem right. And he's telling us when something, half the story is missing, like the news reports right now, we get one side of a story instead of getting um, two different perspectives. And it takes us down the same track all the time. But when you ask the questions, well, what's going on over here? And you can't get an answer. Something's missing. And that's a sign that we can take to say, all right, we got to do a little more digging. We need to look at this from a wholeness from a greater perspective. And there's an idea also about paradoxes that maybe there's a truth in it when sometimes it doesn't make sense to us. When um, an example given is like that Jesus is God and man. When you look at that, how does that make sense to some people? Some people may say, oh no, he's God. And other people may say, oh no, he's man. But the truth is, as in all of us, we're all human and we're all spirit. We're all a creator. And how do we explain that? I don't know. There's a mystery in it. Um, but when we don't look at this bigger picture, when we start labeling things as mine and not give appreciation to all the other things that were involved in creating, helping us create our creation, then we've only got a, a small piece of what we have, what we really have to look at. And it narrows things where integration is a wholeness and it's bringing things together and it's giving appreciation and it's really honoring that whole connectivity. Um, as Geraldine spoke about in nature, there's a connectivity, there's all kinds of organisms. Well, that's what it's like in society too. And we need to appreciate that because we can all live together in integrity, in this integration and create this community. So another topic that was brought up in this was the heresy and heresy as thinking in one way that this is this is the right way. But if someone takes a spin off of it and the, what I looked at kind of was politics right now, people may say I'm a patriot, but their idea of patriotism may be completely different than someone else's idea of patriotism. And so they may label someone as kind of a heretic, that they're, they're not telling the truth, they're not telling it the way it is, where really their perspective is just a different perspective than someone else. We tend to be drawn into doctrines that we've been taught, that we believe in, and even to the point where we're willing to lash out. And even in some cases, people will murder, um, will get violent, because they're not seeing they're not seeing a truth in another side they're not opening to be open enough to actually sit down and talk to people and find a balance and they tend to fight each other 
So when we only focus on one side and not open ourselves to this great, you know, a, an opposite perspective, and we start pointing fingers and calling people heretics or, you know, that they're not really telling the truth, we're not creating community, we're not bringing things together. And um, this can be extremely destructive in societies and in our communities. Another topic was blasphemy and where just saying things is one thing, but acting them out is something completely different. Behaviors are something that are incredibly important to watch the behavior when people actually start taking things out. And when they start speaking about loving each other, yet at the same time, they would turn around and hurt another human being just because they're thinking a little differently. This is blasphemous. This is this is where when we say, I love God and all God's creatures, yet at the same time, we'll turn around and harm them because they don't think the same way we do. Um, this is really going against what God or creator is teaching us. So there's a lack of integrity, and a lack of inclusion, a lack of integration in this. And again, people are changing. People are waking up, Grass, grassroots movements are challenging lies that we're being told. Um, I was watching a show the other day, and it was, it was kind of a perfect example where a gentleman was interviewing a politician, and the politician has la had lashed out against someone else and said, you know, what he did was wrong, and, you know, he should be penalized for it and all of this. And the interviewer said to him, but you just said that you're going to support him for his office for running for office again, even though you've just lashed out at him. And he said, well, yes. And he goes, well, I don't get it. How can you, how can you condemn him for the things that he did? And at the same time, say you're going to support him running again. He said, I don't understand. And the guy said, well, if he's the candidate that our party elects, then I have to, I have to support him. It didn't matter who he was. I have to support him. And I, I kept thinking, going, this is so cool to watch this interviewer actually go after him and say, please explain yourself because I don't get it. And because I don't get it. I don't get it when someone sticks to this line or that line just because they're told to. Because in my mind, there's a bigger question that comes into play. And I think of it as we're all being born, we're all babies. We're all taught things from the perspective of the people who are around us and the experiences that we have and when we limit ourselves and this is something that that um scott peck says is you know when we limit ourselves just to those narrow thinking and we don't open ourselves to the other possibilities we are what we are missing so much and it's so difficult to create community when you want to stick to a hard line like that so i'm excited that things are changing, that people are questioning and people are looking for the truths and are starting grassroots movements and are asking questions because this is when we're going to come up with the idea of integrity and inclusion and um, being totally integrated. So I think this is a fabulous chapter. There's so many things to look at in society about this and really excites me about it. And, and uh, he's very masterful at doing that, isn't he? I, in both books I've read, he's very masterful in doing that. So Scott's kind of, uh, that's one of his natural tendencies to bring that out. And when you were speaking about news, I saw something of, it was about three days ago that I'm still like, when I take a minute, even when I go to the bathroom, okay, and you got that moment to yourself, I still have this thing that'll come up in my head and go, what was that all about? You know what I mean? <laughs> and it was a photograph that had actually been sent from a resident of Crimea, okay? Some area that was on the news, because I don't follow that stuff, okay? But it was something on the news to where some military people were actually harassing and doing some really, not, you know, not decent things to other people. And they were running around with swastikas on their arm. The military people in the picture had swastikas on their arm, and they were being called criminia, the criminia military. And these were Greeks 
that were trying to get to their community and had been apprehended because they were leaving some facility that the same swastika wearing military had put them in and forbidden them to leave without any resource of water, food or anything for a matter of days. So they had begun to take it on their own to get out and these guys were hassling and everything. And then, but I'm looking at the picture, you know where a picture is worth a thousand words, right? And I'm hearing the news media bombard this and blame this on Russia that these people were being actually harmed and suppressed by Russians. And I mean, the whole conversation had just been happening from the, the Greek man who had been in this experience said that the Russians had been the ones that gave them food and water and encouraged them to get out of there. Okay. And that these were Crimea warriors that actually had the swastika on the sleeve and out there. That was not any part of the reporter's words they were not explaining the picture yet they're showing the picture you know and i thought okay what's happened to journalism that they they've all gone schizophrenic you know because it's like you're i want to know who them people are that have the swastika and you telling me it's Kremlin soldiers and that it's russians i mean there was nothing <laughs> nothing connected Nothing was making any sense. I had to actually just stop thinking about it because it's like, what, what, what is that, you know? And so it's, it's like what you said, the, the communications, if we can learn to communicate and what's going to bring the, the world that we're looking for is that we all become good strategists and that we all become very good conflict resolution oriented people. And that a strategist and solution orientations that you're looking for, we will begin to allow more for each other. So it's like, I guess I have my questions still, but I'm not going to start making anybody bad. I just want the reporter to please help me understand what I'm looking at and what you're talking about. And if we begin to pursue that with a curiosity instead of an anger or suddenly jumping to our own story about what all that was then we're going to find an ending that we want to live, an ending that we want our children to have, a definite world that we have tried to create for our grandchildren. And in all of that, it's just a matter of what community is communication. I love it. I really love it. Joyce, you're up. You want to share some of your insights here? Well, then it's a great doorway for me to start because community and communication is the topic for me today. And what I love so far listening to the other co-hosts and to grandmother is how much all of this is interwoven together with uh, Marianne talking about the vulnerability. Vulnerability is both a positive and a negative when it comes to communication. If it stops us from communicating, then it's a negative. If it allows us to be more open and recognize that vulnerability is actually a, a pathway to communicate, that I think is great. So I'm getting a whole lot out of what has been shared already today. So a definition of community, what I'm going to focus on is the communication, because everything that has been said so far about true community requires effective communication. So that's what I have been looking at. And from everything I've researched, what I have come to the conclusion is Anyone who masters being an effective communicator is on the pathway to sainthood because there is so much involved with being an effective communicator. But in looking at what's effective, then we can decide, well, where do I fit in that range of learning to be an effective communicator? So communication involves um, a message being passed from a sender to a receiver. And as I pondered this, I realized in my life, I have had far more focus on the sending of the communication, not recognizing that where the receiver is sitting has equal importance. So I have been pondering that a great deal. And they, it sounds so simple. All you need is a message or information to come from a sender to a receiver. But in fact, this is about the most major complex process that one could ever understand. And I love the fact that we started off with nature today because nature is actually communicating in a more direct way 
than we as human to human. And today was a great example because I went out to my garden and here was one of my plants starting to wilt. I put water on the beautiful plant and it, it, it felt like seconds and that plant was vibrant again. So nature shows us this does not have to be so complicated and so difficult that it's so possible and so natural. So I started looking at what, what are some of the roadblocks we set up for ourselves or that we cooperate with our, in ourselves. And one of them to me was this very clear instruction that grandmother has uh, repeated so many times from so many different angles that we are all individuals. So why would we expect everybody to agree with our perspective? And to me, the strategy would be that would work the best instead of getting defensive, instead of thinking, well, I disagree with them, is to ask the question to them, can you clarify a little bit more? And again, we have heard this many times from grandmother. How are you going to really understand where someone else is coming from unless you communicate a reasonable question and get the ideas from them of why they are doing it, why they are thinking. And what's been amazing to me, the times that I have been experiencing that, is by asking that question, sometimes the answer is spoken in such a way that the person that was standing so strong on something starts to have a broader perspective, as well as I start to see well, this all makes sense. And I don't have to stay defensive and think that I'm wrong because I think differently. So I just love that unique fingerprint base. It's really, really great. So strategies are very, very important. And I love the fact that grandmother's already used that word. So we, we want to be willing, 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 willing to listen to each other, to listen to ourselves, because if we're not in touch with our own thoughts, then we can spout something off and realize, I don't even believe that. But why did I just say that? Why did I just do that? So willingness to listen is huge. To take a breath, to pause, to remember that we've got two ears and one mouth. So if we could follow the rule of listening twice as many hours as we talk, how wonderful the world would be. We'd understand each other. So emptying out has already been discussed a little bit under the vulnerability, and I think that's huge because if we have all these preconceived ideas, then we don't even have an opening in our brain to accept a different idea. And I love the Cherokee Council House that grandmother introduced us to at Ancient Village in Ohio. We, we actually had a group of, of cubs, I can't remember if they were cubs or boy scouts that came. And they got the opportunity to experience what a Cherokee council house was and that each person present had the opportunity to speak and there was not judgments. And at the end of what the discussion was, it was fabulous to see how consensus reigned. So it is totally an image of incredible communication. So in it, I've touched on some of the thoughts that I have been pondering on since I've looked at this a lot more depth than I ever have. And I've put these questions together for myself to continue to explore. And one of them is how deeply do I desire to be an effective communicator? Because until I really know that this is something I'm going for, then it's just going to be talk. It isn't going to be anything deeper than that. And can I daily say, am I willing to communicate as best I can and respond as best I can? And then at the end of the day, look at how that went. Was there pieces of that that I can definitely change? So tomorrow I will communicate even better. So perhaps we will all experience success on our pathway to safe to sainthood, which just I chuckled when that phrase came to me about being an effective communicator. If we make it a personal goal, every one of us 
to become effective communicators. Absolutely. Fantastic job. Really enjoyed that, Joyce. Thank you very, very much. And now we're going to go to Frankfurt, Germany and hear from Rosemary. Rosemary, are you there? Yes, I'm here. And oh my, this is so exciting because it brings back so much memories. And this uh, chapter I'm having some inspirations to is about arms race. Oh my, you know, I mean, we were right smacked into the arms race for 40 years. I mean, my first 30 years, I was in living in a country which had an iron curtain. I mean, we put an iron curtain up, you know, so, so that we called it an iron curtain so we could bombard each other with judgments and preconceptions and hate. And um, I mean, it was just amazing that time in our country in West Germany, we had lots of rockets and right next to the neighborhood in East Germany, they had a lot of rockets. I mean, we were sitting on a bomb basically. And thanks to just a few wise leaders on both sides, we were able to shift that. And I remember one major picture, which was in all the news, Willy Brandt, our chancellor, who lived in Norway during the Second World War, he kneeled in Warsaw, in Poland, in front of a memorial for the falling soldiers. And that was all over the news. And what was he doing? He was vulnerable. He was taking risks. And um, so that brought back all the time. But arms race. I don't think about arms race. I just like to think about world peace. I remember the first thing I saw with the grain war started was this could not have happened if we had no weapons. And I just imagined how it would be to have no, no country has weapons. And uh, a friend of mine said, well, we have to defend some weak countries. And I said, against whom if nobody has weapons? And then I noticed how helpless I got, just like everybody else, because I thought, world peace, no weapons. Oh, my God. I don't I didn't know how to even go about it, you know, and um, I could relate to that helplessness. I feel in many people that hopelessness about this situation and how we are treated with the medias and. And on top of it, I noticed I'm in a lot of groups online, you know, meditation groups, prayer groups, uh, study groups. And whenever some of us brought up some world affairs in the communication on, on the channel, there was a huge uproar, like no politics, please, no politics, please. And I just realized that, that there's something wrong about it, that these so-called spiritual people always don't want to look at world affairs. And and I know that we have to work on ourselves, and I know that we have to first sweep in our own door before we start working with the word of peace, you know, and I know that, you know, and I'm part of these groups where it's, it is very effective if like-minded people pray for peace and pray for change. But what I'm seeing is some hopelessness and especially ignoring it. They are ignoring it. And it made me really angry. But the most emotional reaction I had to deal with was the anger with mass media. I could not believe that all the people all over, no matter what kind of education, believe that shit, believe that in the news. I was not watching the news really, but just, just like you, grandmother, you know, just a little bit I heard and I was standing in front of the TV and going, ah, 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 you know. So I had to face my own anger. Where did that anger come from? I was wondering, where does it come from? It has nothing to do with that media. That was my own anger, my own powerlessness, uh, changing things in my life or things I experienced. So I had to look at that. But I could not believe how they followed this leader who kept putting oil in the fire every day. And so I started to share alternative news. And just like you, grandmother, I saw other ideas about how maybe it was happening. You know, that famous dead people lying on the street with their face down. Well, in the rear view mural, one of these dead people sat up and waved. You know, I mean, my God, I saw that on an alternative news. So what is the truth? Well, we don't know, but there is certainly an alternative picture. What I noticed is that some people appreciated that. I actually had a few people who woke up and said, wow, thank you for sending all that information. But uh, many of them were angry or ignored me or don't even look anymore at my messages. Dr. Peck says that the main reason for that helplessness or that passiveness is ignorance. And um, basically a lack of knowledge. But I think there's more to it. And um, 
I had the opportunities months ago before the war started to learn about Dr. Bernhofer's essay about stupidity. Dr. Bernhofer was a Protestant minister and he really openly criticized the Nazi regime and ended up in a concentration camp. And he was just like me, stunned, really stunned how the masses in Germany followed this stupid Nazi regime, you know? He could not understand it. And he wrote letters and letters and thoughts and thoughts and he finally came up with his essay. He said, it's stupidity. And I looked it up, I, changed, I said, what, it's stupidity is a strange word. I mean, it's directive, what, what, what does he mean? You know? And when, what he did basically mean is what grandmother Pierre calls insanity. And he describes something which sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, he says, you know, that, uh, that, that no reasoning could change their mind. Well, we know that, right? And that actually when we are trying to change their mind, there is a, there's a reaction to it, an aggressiveness. He wrote that in 1945. And he said that stupidity or insanity has nothing to do with intellectual abilities, a slow or fast singer, a professor or, or someone completely uneducated. They are having the same reaction. What is this? And he said, it is not inherited and it has nothing to do with intellectual abilities. It is made, he said. This insanity is made. And he's referring to what we call the, the years of conditioning of people and masses who lost their ability to think as a free individual human being. A lot of people have lost the capacity to, how I would say, to think on their own feet. And I thought that was really an amazing insight in 1945 from a minister who lived in a concentration camp and got murdered there. And we, today we see the same dynamics, you know, there's a mass massive following of a well-orchestrated manipulation. And we seem to be so far away from building an international community, which is needed for world peace. Can community help with this? Can community help with this despair and that hopelessness and that helplessness? I think it can. A handful of people starting to meet each Monday in Leipzig, East Germany, three years before the Berlin Wall fell. Three years later, 70,000 people marched through Leipzig in East Germany peacefully, demanding sovereignty of the people. It touches me when I speak about that. And they shared and they took risks and they had fears and they allowed for the difference if they came from all kinds of directions and they built a genuine community. And it is said by some philosophers that if a system is weak, a tiny small group of people who's genuine can actually change things. Absolutely. And um, I would like to share maybe some of the ideas I had about community. First of all, I think that we are already moving into an international community and we are forming actually a community beyond borders and nationalities where race culture does not matter much. Often we don't even know what culture the other people is. Where is it? In the World Wide Web. For example, in Telegram, there are channels where there's 82,000 members. I participated in a YouTube conference with 200,000 people from all over the world. And I think this is going to be one of the major vehicles to start building community. And I invite you to participate in all of that. And I would like to share some of my experience I had about community building or how to communicate with my company Intercultural Discoveries. I mean, we were going to the nomads of the Tuba in, Mon in Mongolia, 2000 meters high in the Altai mountains. And we didn't speak their language and there was no translator available every day. And it was a good thing that we didn't speak the language because I think communication sometimes it's better without words. So we had to rely on basics, basics of humanity. What is basics of humanity? Smile, food, song, dance. Just, we had to use our hands and our eyes and our mouths to communicate. And it was just wonderful. And we had built bridges and the main bridges I always found when I move into other communities, we also visited some native Arapaho in Wyoming was children and animals. I remember one time we were sitting at a 
family and uh, uh, traditional family. And it was quite like there was no communication. Everybody was sitting there. And my job as a tour guide of Vasilite was only one thing, to keep the people open, not to shut down and to make it a safe space. And then I had to trust it. And I remember one German man stood up, went to a little girl, took her on his back and played horse riding. And she laughed and everybody smiled. So it's just simple things. It's not even big communication. It's sometimes a smile or just like grandmother said, go into the neighborhood and say, hi, I'm here and I'd like to get to know you and how are you doing? The other thing I noticed when I was working with uh, different na uh, native uh, people is, and visiting them with my German groups is the so-called, what I call the baby feeling. There is a baby feeling when you are in a very different unknown environment and you don't know the language and the tradition and the culture. And this baby feeling makes you very vulnerable. And so we had to, to actually be very delicate. Sometimes we step one step forward, then we step back again two steps. And we had, I had to trust the group and it was amazing because what really carried this whole thing, and that is all for me about building community, is the will to know. They had the will. They traveled thousands of miles and paid a lot of money. They had the will to know and to understand the other. And that was the key, you know, the openness of will to know and understand. So when it comes to world peace, we have to have a genuine international community to carry that. And I see it happening already and I firmly believe that we can move into the identity of a planetary citizen. And we must move into an understanding of our human family and, and learn to compassionately observe. And that will guide us then to do the right actions. So I invite you to act now, just as it says before, to communicate. I actually went, I'm, I'm in a new neighborhood and I just recently went over the street and talked to a, a neighbor and said, why don't we do a little party or some kind of thing in the summer? It's so nice now and I like to get to more people, you know, and she was reluctant. So I went back home and I said, oh God, maybe I did something wrong. And then I realized, well, you can't just, just come right with a, let's do a party. You first have to ask some questions and get to know them, you know? So I think asking questions and introducing yourself is coming, giving us approaches to work on communities. And in, in everything that you said, we're seeing, we're seeing a world that we can prepare and live in. And I like what you shared with that. Lots of good personal reflection, too. And, and I appreciate each one of you who have actually shared what you got out of what you were reading. And, and I have to admit to every one of you, I have assigned each one of you a chapter that I felt actually personally applied to a particular view you would have of it. So I have a motive here that have been manipulative and I admit to it. Okay. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed it or would see it and appreciate it. But as we move along and see where well, all the different perspectives and reflections that Scott does give the situation of community, that we can actually identify with how it is the heart of everything. Community is the heart of everything. Even if we look at, as I think it was Rosemary that said, we are global citizens. I have to care about the man who is crying in Japan. I have to care about the baby that was just born misfortunately in some other part of the world, let's say Australia. I have to care about a mother who is mourning the loss of her son in Germany. I have to care what's going on with the baby seals in Alaska. Why? Because it is all me, because it is in each and every one of us. The studies that we've had says that our bodies itself is a community and that it's a community that is a cell upon the body of everything else. And if we can make that awareness where we are working from, Anytime we reflect about anything, we're talking about ourselves. And there is no way in any manner of speech and projection can we say we're talking about something out there. We're always talking about in here. And in here comes when we can find self-love, when we can respect ourselves, 
when we can find reasons to admire ourselves, when we can look into the mirror and love the face that's looking back, when we know that we are a person of such depth and, and such quality, then we will find quality and care in everything else. And the whole, the whole story of this community is us. And we are the seed in the heart of that community, we. And so as we begin to change and reflect and observe ourselves in how we opinionate or how we conclude and cast a particular projection of something, when we know that we wanna do that with the utmost respect and with the dear caring of it to care that we not offend or hurt or misrepresent, then we are well inside what's going to take to make this world a wonderful, wonderful, peaceful place. Peace to me is not a word I'm comfortable with. And that's because peace sounds controlled to me. All my life, I have watched people preach and talk about peace. And it all depended on it formulating itself in their description. I saw that as impressive. But I love the word harmony. And because in harmony, everything can find a position and know where it belongs and where it fits and where it complements. So I like to know that we're on our way to harmony. And in that, I look forward to us actually finishing this book with stories that we can share of how that can work. And so I thank you all very much. We've had a fantastic show this week, and I'm sure our listeners will love it. And I'm sure we'll get lots of feedback. So everyone have a wonderful week. And would definitely enjoy the very, very first winds of spring. They are coming and the flowers are blooming and all is humming. So have a wonderful week. Ocio. Thank you for listening to Quantum Leap Book Club. For more information where you can contact us, go to LOARadioNetwork.com forward slash quantum hyphen leap. Have a great week.